Hello, this is Anne, the Multimedia Director of Kearney First United Methodist Church, and you're listening to our Sunday Morning Sermon Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and uplifted as you listen to this sermon. Thank you for turning in. Today's scripture reading comes from John 15, verses 9 through 17. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that many you may joy be in you and that you, your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friend. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know what his master's business is. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Nate. So this is the last in our series of Visible Faith, uh, seeking to engage uh, the life of faith with uh, or alongside uh, art images, uh, which we're exploring because... We live in a visible world, and so it's helpful uh, to develop tools for how to see God in our midst uh, with our eyes. Uh, So looking at art is one of the ways that we train ourselves in that way. So we started with uh, two pieces by Van Gogh, then went to a modern piece uh, of Sandhill Cranes, and now we're swinging back to roughly the 7th century, 6th century, 5th century with an Orthodox icon. Uh, So we'll talk more about how to deal with that. But today is also Christ the King Sunday, or Reign of Christ, R-E-I-G-N, Reign of Christ Sunday. And it's the last Lord's Day of the Christian year. Uh, Now, that in some ways doesn't matter unless you have a traditional bone in your body. Uh, But it does mean that next week begins the new Christian year with Advent uh, and the heart that grew three sizes. uh, And uh, that'll deal with the Grinch. uh, And we'll have a movie at the World Theater uh, on the 13th. Uh, So these are some of the things coming up. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, breathe in me and breathe in us that as we ponder together Scripture and your revelation of yourself in Jesus and you seen through the Pantocrator, that we would see you and know you and love you and experience your love for us this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this 
I, I don't have to tell you probably, but just in case, the Christmas season is now upon us. We have all the Christmas decorations here, thanks to uh, people young and old who decorated last weekend. Uh, you've now done your Thanksgiving thing. Anybody maybe have a few Thanksgivings left, uh, different family members? Uh, there are all of the Christmas activities. We have the children's program coming up, and so they've been practicing and practicing. All the school kids seem to have different activities that are also being packed into this month of December, singing all the holiday songs, playing all the holiday songs. Did you know, too, that there are only so many days left of Christmas shopping available? This gets to be a busy time of year. Every part of our calendar seems to be spoken for, and there's this rush and tumble that happens at this time of year. And this busyness can start to make us feel impatient or rushed to get everything done. Now, aside from just the busyness of this season, I think there are some larger ways in which we as people and as society experience impatience this sense of, I want it now, and why do we have to wait? In a larger existential sort of ways, I think uh, young people that I uh, live with and talk to have this very real desire to have the authority and autonomy and uh, freedom to do what I want to do as much as I want to do it whenever I want to do it that adulthood seems to bring right? We want to make all of the big choices ourselves. Don't tell me what to do. At the same time, we in sort of the middle-aged category have different things about which we're impatient. Uh, when are we going to be able to do the things that other people get to do? Or that our parents got to do? When are we going to be able to do the, the big trip or the big vacation or the new house or the big remodel? When are we going to be able to oh, retire? Is that a thing still? And as we get older, that becomes something that we do grow impatient about as well, even if we're also a little bit scared of it. What will I do? And uh, as you get just a slight bit older, I think there are some folks uh, in that generational category that would say impatiently, when are these young people going to get their acts together? <laughs> I mean, I had my act together when I was their age. Their act looks nothing like my act. And aside from just the generational ways that we experience impatience and longing for something that is slow in coming, we have impatience as this church and all churches. This sense of expectation. Things should be different. When will things become different? like they were, or something new, or something different, or when will church again have the same value and meaning and power in our community, in our culture, in our nation that it once did? Did it ever? And will it again? And we're impatient, and we long for it, and we work hard sometimes trying to make it so. 
And for folks of every age, we come at different points, uh, perhaps in which we have uh, lived out our lives in relationship with Christ through the church, and we look at how the we've given of our time and our talents and our gifts and our resources, and sometimes we look and say, well, I sure thought that would make the world different than it is. Why is the world like it is? Why are my neighbors like they are if the church is really doing what Jesus calls us to. And so we're impatient and we long for that. And we might look and say, Jesus came 2,000 years ago, uh, the full presence of God, and uh, he came as one who brings peace and brings a new kingdom. And how many different wars are active in our world today, right now? So we're impatiently waiting for something that Jesus has taken a whole long time to do and seems uh, to have not done yet, right? And so once in a while we can be impatient with God because God had this world-changing plan to enacted in Jesus in his birth and his life and his death and his resurrection that was supposed to usher in a new kingdom. And Jesus, where is your new kingdom? Because it doesn't seem like it's here now right? And so, with that sort of impatience and angst, I think we start to get a sense of what's developing with the disciples in the midst of our reading that Nate read today. See, John chapters 13 through 17 is the John's Last Supper sequence, uh, and it's through this sequence particularly that I think we get a clear sense that the disciples are learning that Jesus' kingdom isn't what they expected. It starts in John 13 when uh, he takes a towel and wraps it around his waist and kneels and washes the disciples' feet and says, this is what the kingdom of God is like. I, your teacher, am kneeling to wash your feet, so will you wash others' feet. Wait, how does that bring the kingdom, Jesus? And then he tells them that he'll be betrayed and he'll be handed over and that he'll die. Wait a second, where does that fit in the plan, Jesus? You're supposed to establish a new Davidic kingdom. How does your betrayal fit in that? And he says in the midst of this, well, don't worry. I'm going to prepare a place for you in the Father's house in which there are many rooms. Wait, now, how, how long are we waiting for this kingdom, Jesus? Because suddenly the timeline has gotten pushed out. And then he continues repeatedly uh, using verbs and instructions like remain in me, abide in me, as though to say stick with me and stay connected with me, serve like me, love like I love. And the disciples had expected that he was the Messiah, the anointed, the way that God would bring God's Davidic kingdom on in that ancient Near Eastern land. 
They, they would enter Jerusalem and then he would be seated on the throne. They even argued about who would get to sit on his right and his left. And now it's getting pushed out and expanded and changed. And it doesn't look like they thought. And while the Gospels uh, do have them being uncertain and scared and questioning, I wonder if there's also a slight bit of apathy growing in at least some. Like, if he's going to be betrayed and handed over and die, and he's not going to take the throne in the way that we expected, then what have we been doing for the last three years as we've been following him? They're impatient for what they expect Jesus to be at work doing. And one of my friends, a pastor and theologian, reminded me of something that another theologian, Stanley Harawas, said, which is that Advent is this season of patience in the midst of a world that is impatient. And this invites us to ask in the midst of our world that is impatient, in the midst of our lives that are impatient, is there room for God to be God? Which I think leads us at least into a conversation about this uh, orthodox icon. Uh, icon means image. Uh, orthodox is uh, connected to the Eastern Orthodox Church uh, and also means right thinking, or right, uh, uh, right thinking or belief. And it's called the Pantocrator, which means ruler of all. Now, uh, I'm not an art historian, but I do think it's helpful to think about how these paintings work slightly in some of the development of Christian art, which uh, we haven't done a lot of. And uh, there are classes at UNK, should you want to take those classes uh, and have more discussion about them. But... This is one of the oldest and uh, most common of the Orthodox icons. If this, uh, it started to exist from about the 300s in cave churches and other uh, church buildings across the ancient Near Eastern world. By the 600s, it was a common image. Uh, you would walk into the front of the and in the front of the dome, there would be a pantocrator. Sometimes full body, sometimes just like this, sometimes seated on a throne, and there are things that are common in almost all of them. All of them. One is the way he holds his right hand. This is both a sign of blessing and uh, the way that he's holding his fingers, if you squint and know something of Greek letters, it says the beginning of his name, uh, Jesus Christ. But I can't explain that because I've never been able to see it well. I'm just told that's how it works. You make an X here and then a C here, and uh, I, it's there, trust me. Uh, the internet will tell you so too. But uh, then the other common images, uh, you can see it clearly on this one, and it looks different sometimes than other ones. Uh, the IC and the XC mean Jesus Christ. That's a, a kind of Greek shorthand for the beginning letters of each word. So this denotes this image that we see is Jesus Christ. And then inside the, the halo, uh, there's this cross, uh, and uh, there are Greek letters that mean the God who is which is a little bit odd, except that we remember Exodus three fourteen, in which God says from the burning bush to Moses, I am who I am. 
I am the God who is. Here's another version of what this uh, looks like slightly differently in a tile mosaic, which is one of the other ways that uh, it was shown. You can see all the same letters, the same, uh, just in a different sort of pattern with the same hand of blessing. And they also often have Jesus holding scripture. And different scriptures are often included. Now, these are important just for, to be able to see this is an early histor historical depiction of Jesus, not because we're seeing, oh, that's what Jesus looked like. For icons, that's not the important part. The important thing about icons is to look through them and to let them look through us, which is a strange practice. But the one other thing that's kind of important as we see this icon is the history of Christian art. Uh, see, these developed from the 4th to the 7th century, and then during, in the ancient Near Eastern time, there, there was argument before these and after these because Jewish people had long believed that uh, there should be no images because Exodus and De uh, Deuteronomy have these Ten Commandments, uh, one of which is don't make idols, right? So the view was if you put any living creature in, in picture form in a sacred space, it becomes an idol and therefore we'd worship that. They remember that golden calf thing and the, how that was a bad deal and so they say no pictures. But the early Christian movement said, yeah, but, yes, no, no idols, but I mean, Jesus, according to Colossians, is the full revelation or image of God. So Jesus is a picture, an image of God, and therefore we can have pictures or images of Jesus as ways through which we see God because we see, never see just Jesus, the human, but we always see Jesus, the human who is also fully divine. We see humanity drenched in divinity. And this becomes an important development, uh, but it does take a step with uh, conquering people in the ancient Near East, and I wanted just to show you some of how this worked. Jewish folk and other folk who have uh, different views, uh, this idea of idolatry won't allow images of animals and people in their worship spaces. So you can see from the ancient, uh, an ancient site on the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee, a tile mosaic. There have been just an, there was an iconoclastic period in the eighth and ninth centuries, uh, and they would go in and destroy all of the pictures of animals and people. Except you can zoom in and see that there is one animal they missed which is a fascinating way to see the development of Christian art and the question of how do we depict Jesus and God in our midst. But what we see then from the Pantocrator is the collapsing of distinctions. It's not so much that we look at the Pantocrator and we say, wow, that's exactly what Jesus looks like. Instead, what we're invited to do is to look through the icon, through the image, to see that Jesus is human, drenched with divinity, 
fully God, staring back at us with a hand of blessing and a, a hand of instruction and guidance, like he looks at the disciples in our passage today and says, friend, I chose you for this journey. I chose you to be my friends. I chose you so that your joy might be complete. I chose you to let my love live in you. He doesn't say, I chose you because I knew that you could accomplish all these things. He says, I chose you because I can accomplish all these things with you and in you. And so we gaze into the Pantocrator as an act of prayer, not so we can say, wow, I wonder what Jesus looked like, as much as to say, I wonder if I can see Jesus looking at me. And when we discover Jesus looking at me, we also see the depth of God, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit looking at us and saying, friend, I chose you, I've given you gifts, and have empowered you to love. But we also see this God looking at us. And I wonder if he almost is looking through us to see God already active in us. And so to gaze and pray through the Pantocrator is to discover a God who is ruler of all, Jesus who is Christ the King, and also to see ourselves as he sees us friend and bearer of the love of God. So how on this, uh, or what on this Christ the King or ruler of all Sunday are we supposed to do? When we're impatient, when we have this existential angst for God to make good on God's vision. Well, maybe in part. Though it's harder, to, easier to say than to do, maybe in part it's simply to remember who and whose we are. That Christ is ruler of all. Bringer of the kingdom of God. And if that's who Jesus is, then we don't have to be that person. Instead, we get to be who he calls us, friend. Friend who abides in his love. And so in that, I wonder if we can end the year much like we began this calendar year. So uh, in January, we began with the Wesleyan Covenant Prayer. It's on page 607 of your hymnal. You can take a picture of it, take a hymnal. There are some prayer uh, bulletins or bookmarks as well. One of the lines that really tripped some of us up when we were praying that and preaching it and talking about it, studying it, was this one. Put me to work for you or set me aside for you. And I wonder, in part, on ruler of all Christ the King Sunday, if I have a different view of those lines. 
Because the logic would have been, well, Jesus, through the Spirit, gives us each gift for the good of all, and Jesus has this monumental mission, and Jesus calls us through the waters of baptism into ministry to participate in this monumental mission. We must always get to work, right? And so it seems actually like something Jesus would never do to say, hey, friend, given you gifts. He's been very useful. The other disciples have got this right now. You just sit right here on this proverbial bench for a moment. That seemed like an odd thing to pray, and so we struggled with that, right? But I wonder if it's both. I wonder if it's both because, yes, Jesus, through the Spirit, gives us each gifts for the good of all and calls us into ministry to participate in Christ's building of the kingdom. And yet, the kingdom has obviously been a longer project than any of the disciples have first expected, nor that we have expected. And so, we can entrust the building of the kingdom to the God who is ruler of all, who has chosen us, and then focus on what he has most called us in that choosing to do to remain, and to serve, and to love. And those are such slow things. I mean, anybody who's uh, ever loved anybody else knows that love is this slow thing where we have to be patient and listen and take step forward and backwards together, and we have to continue to choose to do do the love with one another and uh, the relationship. So what if we let God be in charge of God's world-changing, kingdom-bringing mission and let God lead and guide us as God works love in our hearts and our lives? Setting us free from the pressure and the impatience of thinking we have to do it ourselves. And so... What if in the end of this year, for this week at least alone, uh, we spend a day, time each day praying? And if it's with the Pantocrator, fantastic. And if it's with the Wesleyan Covenant Prayer, wonderful. But in whatever way works for us, what if we spent time each day seeking to let Jesus show us Ways in which we've not let him be ruler of all and ruler of us. I don't know what Jesus will do in the midst of that, but it's a mystery of faith and walking together. What if we prayed and invited Jesus, show me ways in which I've been trying to build your kingdom instead of letting you lead in building your kingdom? Jesus, show me how I've been building something that I thought was your kingdom, but your kingdom is something different. And Jesus, show me how to remain in your love, for you are ruler of all. The Pantocrator is especially helpful in that process only because it reminds us of who God is, ruler of all, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who looks at us and calls us friend. And then 
invites us to see ourselves with that friend language, that we are beloved by God. And then, only then, can we say to Jesus with any sense of uh, humility and honesty, put me to work for you or put me, set me aside for you, I give you all that I am and all that I have to honor you and worship you. May it be so. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you have found the topics mentioned today to be thought-provoking and meaningful. For more information about our church, ministries, and upcoming events, check out our website at carneyfirstumc.org. If you'd like to join us on Sunday in person or on live stream, our traditional services are at 8.15 and 11 a.m. And our modern service is at 9.30 a.m. We look forward to seeing you next week. And until then, go in peace and may God bless you.